thanks for joining us this week. Excited to have on PGA Tour Champions Tour legend and golf icon, Mr. John Cook, joining us on this week's podcast. Make sure to check it out on Triple G. Folks, welcome back to another episode of Triple G, Ginger's Gridiron and Golf Podcast. I am your host, you know who I am, the Ginger, Stefan Kerr, excited to be back for another jam-packed week. And as always on Triple G, when we speak, we deliver, and uh, we're delivering tonight with a fantastic golf guest joining us. We got PGA Tour legend John Cook, who's uh, who's going to be chatting with us on tonight's episode We've got the API, one of my favorite weeks of the year. Great part of the schedule, the Florida Swing. How do you not love it? The lead up to Augusta, the Players' Championship. So we're going to talk about uh, the API, if you will, the Arnold Palmer Invitational. We're going to talk about Greg Norman, Zach Johnson, and a lot happening in the world of golf. We'll send you off the break, and you get another quarterback rant this week as uh, my man Kyler Murray gets ripped. Last week was Aaron Rodgers. This week I get Kyler Murray, so make sure you're tuning in after break for a quick little NFL segment as well. But I'm not I'm not going to keep you here too long. Make sure you're following us along on all the social media fronts, uh, YouTube. Hit that subscribe bell, that little bell button in the bottom there. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, at GingerTripleG. It, uh, it might not mean a lot to you, but it means a lot to uh, to me. So, Make sure you're doing that and following us along with the uh, with the daily news. But let's get right into it and let's flip over to uh, welcoming on John Cook to the show tonight. All right, listeners, let's give a super warm welcome to 11-time PGA Tour winner, 10-time PGA Champions Tour winner, 1993 Ryder Cupper, Mr. John Cook. John, welcome to the show. Real pleasure to have you on. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Look yeah, forward no- to it. No problem, and I know uh, I know you'll be watching closely here as it as we uh, come into March here, and uh, March Madness kicks up, and your, your <laughs> Buckeyes look to be uh, fighting for uh, for their place in the Big Ten tournament, and then in the uh, in the March Madness tournament as well. Yeah, that that's for sure. They uh, they need to kind of right the ship a little bit. They either look like they're the you know could be the champions, or they get beat by anybody on any given night. So yeah, that's li- right. little consistency would be uh, would be nice. For sure, for sure. Well, I, I want to start there, John, uh, going back to your, your Ohio State days. And specifically, um, something I read that, um, you know, caught my eye was is that you had to be not talked into, but persuaded to go to Ohio State by uh, a certain co- important <laughs> couple individuals in Jack Nicholas and, and time, Tom Weiskopf. What did they say to you? You know, it's interesting. Um, you know, we're, we're big Ohio people. I was born in Toledo. My father was a, a football coach and high school football coach. And he was a you know big guy in, in Columbus, went to Dennis University, but did his graduate work at Ohio State. So we're, we're big Ohio State people. He actually coached for Woody Hayes, you know, back in the 60s. And, and, and also, you know, wherever we lived, we represented uh, Ohio State, no matter if it was Southern California when we moved. I was in uh, second or third grade. 
to you know Orlando or, or wherever it was. We were always big Buckeye, big Buckeyes. So um, you know, in the recruiting process way back when in in the '70s, it was a little bit different. That we had, you know, I, I went on my visits. I went to you know Oklahoma State and SC and UCLA, Arizona State. You know, just went all over the place. Um, and then uh, my you know I. I caught the eye of the coach there at Ohio State. I said, oh, you know, Ohio, okay, great. You know, we have big ties there, but, you know, is that really going to be a golf school? Well, it turned out, yes. <laughs> As, uh, you know, Jack, um, Jack wrote me a, a nice letter, um, you, know, you know, just, you know, the, all the pros of Ohio State and what it could offer. Um, you know, yes, it's in the Midwest, and yes, it gets cold in the wintertime and da-da-da, but – you know, just the, the facility, the, you know, Ohio State Scarlet course was, you know, just second to none back in those days. And, and uh, you know, all, all the benefits. And then uh, Tom would give me a call. He, he would call, you know, once or twice, you know, once a month or, you know, twice a month uh, just to check in. You know, nothing, you know, not trying to sell anything, but just, you know, it was really nice conversations that I had with Tom. And Tom and I became, you know, fairly close you know, when I did choose to go back to Ohio State, um, I think it was, uh, I know that my family liked it. My dad certainly did. And, <laughs> you know, Ken Venturi was my mentor and, and, and um, teacher from when I was 14 years old. He was a little bit, eh, okay, well, you know, the good news is it's closer to Florida where he was, <laughs> or he was moving to. Um, so it, 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 had, it had its benefits there. And, and he saw, um, you know, the, the, the great benefits that, that uh, Ohio State could, could show me um, just to get better as, as, a, as a golfer. So, um, and that's one of the messages that Jack had said. And also, Tom, is, you know, it, it's not golf year-round. And I, I didn't play golf year-round. I grew up playing football and basketball and then golf in the spring and summer. And then, you know, end of August came around and it was back to football. So it was, you know, it was a nice uh, – you know, it had a nice schedule to it as far as, um, you know, a little bit of a wind down from a, you know, a, a, a you know, fall schedule through the winter, played a couple spring events and then, you know, in, into the into the Big Ten uh, season and the NCAA. So um, it, it was, uh, you know, great talking to them, became very close with, with both, very close with Jack, uh, very close with Tom, played a lot of practice rounds with Tom. Um, played quite a bit with Jack. I was paired with Jack a lot. And, you know, we just had that bond that, that, uh, you know, that alumni, Ohio State alumni bond, that family. And it, uh, you know, it, it continues to this day. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and I, you, you touched on a couple points there in terms of, you know, Jack's a big proponent of, um, you know, not specializing athletes so mm. early and, and allowing these, these kids and young adults to be able to, play the sports that they love and, and mm -hmm. not having, you know, a five, six, seven year old kid have to focus on golf for right. 12 months of the year for, you know, 20 straight years. And by the time they're in their early twenties, they're burnt out. So it's nice to hear that, you know, his message hasn't changed even, even to this day. You know, what's very interesting is our, our coach, uh, coach Jim Brown mm -hmm. uh, was also from, um, from Ohio, went to Ohio state, played basketball and golf at Ohio state and he recruited athletes. He recruited kids that played other sports and were very good at other sports. Um, you know, Rod Spittle from up there in, in Canada, Niagara yep. Falls up around there was, you know, an Ontario junior hockey team. 
Um, so, I mean, wonderful, wonderful athlete, you know, six foot four, six foot five athlete. Um, that was so good, uh, you know, at golf as well, you know, and we had Mark Balin was all state New York basketball and, you know, Rob Brewster was you know tremendous football player getting recruited to play quarterback at, you know, division one schools. And I was a good basketball, good, at, good at football, but as a better basketball player. So, you know, it, he, he recruited athletes because they bought into the team. It was all about the team. It was going to Ohio state and representing that institution and, and playing on a team and knowing your roles on that team. Uh, and that, I think that's why we had such a great run and coach Brown had such a great run from the early seventies all the way through, you know, the two thousands when he decided to retire. So um, it was great being part of that team. We had that team concept. Yes, we had our roles. We had, you know, a couple stars and we knew what our roles were, but we also had, you know, other kids that were really, really good golfers and they understood, you know, their role too. So it was, you know, it was the team aspect there at Ohio state. That's why we were so successful. Yeah, three, you know, three consecutive Big Ten titles in, in your run from 77 to 79 there. Um, set, I want to look at 78 and 79 specifically. You know, you, you, you go ahead and you beat Scott Hoke in, in the USM in, in 78 and then, uh, you know, play your, your good friend Mark O'Meara in, in, in 79. Is that when you discovered, hey, I am good enough to play this game professionally over those two years? Um, you know, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. That's a great question. Is uh, <clears throat> I think I just I was progressing through college. Uh, I progressed through juniors. I progressed uh, through college. I got better and better each year. When I won the amateur in, in '78, I was not the best amateur in the country. Bobby Clampett, far and away, was the number one amateur. Might have been the best player on the planet at that point in time in 1978. But uh, you know, I was fortunate. I was prepared. I had a great run. I beat Scott Hoke in the final. Yep. Um, and then the next year I really started to, you know, really blossom into a better player. I, I, you know, got invited to play at Bay Hill as an amateur, made the cut. Of course I was in the masters, made the cut there, U S open, made the cut, you know, at Inverness in Toledo, um, made the cut in a number of, uh, professional events as an amateur. And I just kept getting better. And that's, that's the actual path that Ken Venturi had me on was to get better, to get tighter, to get more efficient each and every year and, and show, you know, what your potential could be, um, but keep progressing towards that, that goal. Uh, so it was a, a great plan from, um, from Kenny's point, point of view, a uh, great plan from my father as well to, you know, keep me grounded, keep me working, keep me, keep, keep looking at myself in the mirror and, you know, asking those tough questions. Am I doing everything that I can be doing to get better at what I was doing? You know, I had a, you know, great, support system along you know for that ride as, as an amateur and you know when uh, when I decided that I was going to turn professional um everybody was in my corner and it was it was it was great to know and you know what uh, did everything that I could as as a college player and as an amateur um so I thought it was the right time and that's why I chose to not come back for my senior year in college I felt you know what if I'm going to give this a go Right now is the time to do it, and I had the great support of my my girlfriend, my future wife at the time, and uh, it, it, there we went. We set out on on the PGA tour, just the two of us, just driving around playing golf. 
Yeah. And, and you know what, it's, uh, you look at your career and, and it leads perfectly into my next question. You go out there and, and you win an 81 at, at the, uh, at the Bing Crosby Pro-Am and, and 83 up here in Canada at, at Glen Abbey in a, in a playoff with Johnny Miller. <laughs> but, you know, you, you don't go right out there and, and dominate the way mm-hmm. you had at Ohio State and, and win in the amateur type things. And it takes some time. Talk about how tough specifically those years were in 89 when, when you had the surgery and you were out. Um, you come back in 90, you lose a couple times in, in contention to Tom Kite at the FedEx and Bob Tway at, at Vegas. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you hit this magical run, um, you know, pretty much from 91 through, all the way through 93, 94, all the way through the rest of your career, but specifically 92, 93, um, those magical special seasons and, and everything you did in those, you know, how tough were, you know, when you come back in 91 how, you know, and 90 and 91, you know, how tough was it to keep your, your mind in it and, and believe and still have that confidence. No, it, that's, that's such a great question. And we, we could spend hours and hours on, <laughs> uh, but it, you know, it, it, I think it was, you know, the early on, you know, a little bit of a struggle, you know, to, you know, kind of reaching a potential of winning a golf tournament. Uh, right. I think that the 83 Canadian open, you know, really, really gave me some confidence. Um, if you remember, Jack Nicholas was a shot back of Johnny Miller and I, so, you know, here's a, you know, whatever 26 year old kid that, uh, you know, beat Johnny Miller in a playoff and Jack Nicholas by a shot, you know, that, that I, I kind of, I look back at that and go, wow, that was really me, I guess. So, um, but th- those are the experiences that you draw on. So, you know, 89 was very difficult. I had broken, fractured a, a part of my hand. I uh, didn't know that for a couple of years leading up to that. Uh, it was a difficult rehabilitation and, you know, my, my wife and my kids were, you know, we were going through this all together and without her support and her belief, I would probably never have, you know, tried to come back. Um, but, you know, I got the surgery for a reason that was to keep playing professional golf. And, you know, I, I worked incredibly hard uh, in that, that time that I was, you know, rehabbing and, and getting, trying to get back on the PGA tour uh, in, in 90 and, I, I was so ready and Kenny was, you know, he was so in my corner that, you know, when I started to come back, we went from square one, we, we relearned everything. Um, and the swing comes back quickly. Um, the game of golf doesn't come back so quickly. So I, I really um, put it, set it in my mind that I was going to play as much golf to get ready for the first of the year uh, in, in 1990, which I believe the first event was in Tucson. Um, and I was ready to go and made the cut there and then just kept playing well uh, th- through that first year. And like I said, I had two chances to win. I got beaten playoffs. I, I gave, my, But it was those other experiences, I think, that, um, that helped me uh, be ready in 1990. It was uh, frustrating then in, in you know, not winning in 90, but I was, you know, I was in a comeback mode. I was just playing as much as I could. Um, trying to get better at whatever I was doing. And then in 91, you know, started to play good. It just didn't win, but, you know, had a number of good finishes. And then week number one in 1992 at the Bob Hope, you know, just, you know, down the street from where we were living, um, that was it. it. I was ready to go. And it was, uh, it was something from that on. Like you said, that run, with the exception of 1995, um, I really played some good golf. I think I won seven times in the nineties and, 
and uh, won some big events. And uh, it was just, uh, that's when I knew that I, you know, I was reaching that potential that I set my standards very, very high. I uh, set my goals very, very high. Uh, and then I was meeting those goals, you know, all the way through the nineties. Yeah. You, there's no doubt, you know, you, the magical three wins in 92 and, and you follow it up, like you said, wins in 96, 90, 97, 98. There, there's no doubt about that. 1993, um, you know, we're going to take you across the, the pond here a little bit <laughs> to the, to the Belfry and that, that 93 Ryder cup team. And I'm, you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but from my research, I think it's the last time that the U S has won yep, it on, is, yeah. on European <laughs> soil. Um, you know, six straight losses here now, and, and hopefully that changes uh, when we go across uh, across the seas again to, to Rome in the next year. But is that not a, such a how cool is that experience? You know, you look at the names from um, Raymond Floyd and captained by Tom Watson, and and to be able to go ahead and win that that event and win that Ryder Cup and bring that trophy home with the likes of, you know, Couples and, and Azer, Azeniger going, I think, 06 and 04. So guys like yourself were so important. Jim Gallagher Jr. were so, so important mm-hmm. to that victory. But, you know, talk to me about how cool that experience was um, in the 1993 Ryder Cup. Yeah, we had uh, talked to, you know, earlier about, you know, the team aspect at Ohio State. And, you know, I was on you know, world amateur teams and you know, World Cup teams and, you know, those were really special just because I had been a team guy all my all my life. Um, so to earn my way onto the Ryder Cup, I wasn't a pick. I earned I earned my way uh, onto that team. Um, so that was very special. And you named some, you know, Hall of Famers, you know, That's Raymond right. Floyd, Lanny Watkins, Payne Stewart, Tom, um, Kite. Tom Kite, Tom Watson was our captain. I mean, it was it was a team thing. And it, it to be part of that. Um, it was, uh, you know, indescribable. It, we went over there with, with one goal in mind and that was, you know, to, to keep the, you know, bring the cup back, uh, to the United States. And it was a total team effort. And I, I, you know, it was, you know, the things that I remember, I remember, uh, in my, um, uh, in, in Chip Beck and I went out on Saturday afternoon as basically sacrificial lambs. <laughs> we were playing uh, Nick Faldo and Colin Montgomery, and Chip and I had not played a match yet. <laughs> so it was like, who are these two guys going out? They hadn't played a match yet, hadn't even been on the first tee. Um, and uh, we're playing Faldo and Montgomery, number one, and I think number two in the, in, in the world at the time. Yeah, and, what was the you know, format, John? It was, uh, it was best ball. Best ball, okay. Best ball. So, um, you know, Chip had that, you know, great attitude, just the, you know, Mr. Confident and Mr. Rah, Rah, Mr. Holt, you know, team guy. And, you know, he was playing really well at the time and I was playing well, but we just hadn't have a chance to, to get in yet. And, um, Tom Watson, as we were walking to the first tee, I'm, you know, I hadn't hit a shot yet. <laughs> so I'm, yeah, <laughs> since the practice rounds and we played a couple holes, Chip and I, but you know, that we weren't playing in front of anybody. And, you know, it was 20 deep on both sides. And, and Captain Watson just came up and put his arm around me and says, it's your time. Show us what you can do. And, you know, the hole number one, I, I t- Faldo made a putt. I made a putt right on top of him. And Chip and I never looked back uh, from that point on. And I can remember, you know, just walking down the 18th hole. And we're, we're one up going into 18 over Montgomery and, and, uh, and Faldo. 
And Lanny Watkins was walking side by side with me, like for the last nine holes, just pumping me up and pumping me up. And I hit a four iron into number 18 and hit it in there about 12 feet. And Faldo looked at me like, wait a minute, this is the guy that, you know, we went toe to toe at the, at the open championship. And, you know, this is that guy. And, uh, you know, th those are the things that I remember in, in, you know, Payne Stewart coming up, you know, after the match, uh, when we closed them out and just putting his arm around me and just, uh, just to see the joy on other players faces, um, you know, playing a, a individual sport, but playing as a team, uh, those are the things I'll never forget. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, just once again, validating your, your 92 comeback player of the year and, and the push into 93. You mentioned the, the likes of Faldo and, and Nick Price. And, you know, this could be a, a little bit of a difficult question here for you, John, but um, would appreciate your honesty on it. Is there is there a major championship? Because you had such great success, you know, a 92-year runner-up in the Open and the PGA. And, you know, you go to 93 at Inverness again, you know, right there with Azinger and 94 again with Price, you know, even though he kind of ran away with it a little bit in that year. But do you look back at any of those majors in, in the mid 90s and, and think to yourself, man, I would have really liked to get one of those? Or, you know, do you feel that was there one that was a missed opportunity, maybe? Um, mm -hmm. Or do you kind of feel like, you know what, you know, the guys I was up against were world class and hall of famers, like you said, and, and they just happen to be a little bit better on that, on that particular day or that week. Well, to be quite honest, I think, you know, I'm, I, I don't feel like my, my career is what it is. And I'm extremely proud of, you know, what I've done and accomplished as a professional golfer, and you, you know, on be, and yep. off the golf course. And I appreciate that. Uh, there is a void. Uh, I have to be quite honest. There is a void that I did not win a major. I thought my game was built to win major championships. I thought it was very good game around Augusta and I loved Augusta. Augusta did not like me at all. My record around there is dismal. Uh, I'll be the first to say it, but um, the other three championships, I had, I had my opportunities um, a number of times and I uh, either did something down the stretch that prevented me from winning or, you know, in the case of, of Nick Price and um, you know, a couple of times, you know, just kind of taking taking it and doing the right things down the stretch. So, yeah, I I feel like the the Open Championship in '92 was mine, um, and you know I let that go. Uh, Nick, of course, Nick Faldo did what he needed to do coming down the stretch, uh, where he was he was floundering and and I was you know making that big run and made some nice birdies, a three putt par on the 17th on the 71st hole. Uh, I'll never forget that. I, I I live it every July when the Open Championship comes along. I I, sh I could be there at the Champions Dinner and you know having a claret jug you know behind me in my trophy case, um, but I don't. And I, I think that those that's the one disappointing thing that uh, I feel in in my career and and, and something that leaves a void. Um, in that, just being a professional golfer with that game and that mentality of winning. Um, so that Open Championship uh, in '92, the 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 PGA in '92 at Bell Reef with Nick and I going head to head down the stretch, uh, he did make he did make birdie on the 71st hole, and I didn't. Um, and to take a two shot lead into the final hole, so you know it was kind of insurmountable. But um, you know the you know the the '94 U.S. Open at Oakmont, I was right there, and the '94 
uh, PGA at Southern Hills that, that Nick won. I was right there till the very end. So um, it was, you know, it, that's the one, the one void of my career is, uh, you know, those, those major championships that I did, did not cash in on. Um, not that my life would be any different, but, you know, I would have these trophies that, uh, that they can't take away from you. Yeah, there's there's no doubt about that. A historic career. There's there's no doubt, and you have nothing to nothing to be ashamed about. And I think every every professional golfer at that level is going to look back at a, a couple of opportunities, no doubt. Even even the likes of Jack, with the amount of seconds that that he had, <laughs> right. sure he, he looks back and says, "Man, if I could have just had a couple more, it, you know, yeah. it'd be nice for sure." But um, flipping over to the Champions Tour now, and and you were. You go on, and to me, you go on a dominant run on that Champions Tour in in 2009 and 2010. You know, right up there at the top, um, winning and and being in contention all the time. How 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 challenging is that Champions Tour? Some say it's the toughest tour to make, but the competition out there is is unbelievable. And and just speak to that that competition level out there because it doesn't. You know, some people view it as you know it's just a walk in the park. That you know. The, the older boys are going out there and playing three rounds and having a cart and this and that, but it's not like that. It's, it's no. not going out there. No, it, it is. It's exactly right. And you know, the players, you know, when you, when you turn 50 and if you've been um, competitive or semi-competitive on the PGA tour or the, you know, European tour um, as you're turning 50, those are the players that end up playing very well, you know, through their fifties into their sixties. Um, and, you know, I was, I was fully exempt on the PGA Tour um, in my 50th year in 2006 and 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, so going into um, Champions Tour at the end of 2007, when I turned 50 in October, I was ready to go play. I was excited. But, you know, I was still didn't quite get the concept of three rounds. Um, and, you know, it, it's a sprint. You can't have a bad nine holes. <laughs> And I learned that right away. I think my first event was in Houston uh, in October. And I shot six under par for, for three days. I got beat by 19 shots. I went, whoa, whoa, Bernard Langer all of a sudden, happened? what just happened here? I need to get better at a couple of things. And, you know, I, I, I turned right around the next week uh, in San Antonio and won because I understood what this, uh, this tour was all about. It's about making birdies. It's about pedal on the gas. It's about tightening up your your start and finish lines on you know approach shots. You know, really firing at every flag, hitting the proper shots, and that's the way I used to play golf. <laughs> and uh, so I, I caught on right away, and really understood on the guys might be a little older, a little softer, uh, hair might be getting a little grayer or losing some of it. But the skills never left them, and that's why they're great players, is the skills, the work ethic, the determination, the commitment uh, to being you know, at top of your game when you're in your 50s. Um, the golf ball doesn't know how old you are, and you just, I just took that approach. I said, for five years till I'm 55, I'm going to play as much as I can. I'm going to play as hard as I can. I'm going to train. I'm going to be ready to play. And I had a great run through 55, and I went, you know what? My wife and I sat down and said, well, where do we go from here? I said, well, I still feel pretty good. I'm still committed. I still love the game. I love to compete. 
let's give it three more years. And so if <laughs> the next three years, I kept playing hard, kept playing well, you know, won a, you know, won a couple of tournaments in 13 and 14, um, you know, when I was 57, 58 years old. And, you know, that, um, you know, then we just, I just decided, well, I've had a good run and, you know, got into a little bit of the, the broadcasting and, you know, have chose a little bit different path. And, you know, when, once you start to do that, um, you know, things start to go a little different direction and the commitment and the time is not there, but uh, you're right. I had that a really nice run through the, through, um, you know, mid fifties. And I was determined. I understood what the tour was about and uh, I just you know, kept plugging along and guys kept coming at you and coming at you and you just keep getting, more and more competitive. And like I said, those skills don't leave you. Um, so it, uh, I just enjoyed what I was doing. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, and you're right. You look at those years and, you know, not only you were just, you know, even on weeks where you weren't quite in contention, maybe in that top five, you were still right inside the top 25 mm-hmm. all the time on those years. So your, your game was sharp and, and you're right. You, you hear the likes of somebody like Podrick Harrington speak now about the tour in terms of, you know, he goes out there and he just realizes how good, you know, from 150 yards, the, yeah. how sharp their game is from the way through, you know, heard, heard him say, you know, I realized quickly, you know, you go up against the likes of, you know, Bernard Longer and Jimenez and, and some <laughs> of Furek and these guys. And, you know, from, from 150 yards, even though he may have 110 in, they're at the 150 marker and they're sticking <laughs> it in five, six feet. Right. And he's, he's out to, you know, 20, 22 feet and they're just making birdie after birdie. So you're, you're bang on John. Um, you're still connected with the tour. You, you still understand the game. And like you said, a historic run from, from the mid seventies all the way through till, you know, 2015, 2016, do you, do you go to the broadcast um, route? What's the difference that you see in the game now in, in 2021 and 2022 mm. to when you first came on tour um, in the early 80s? Is it the training? Is it um, the scheduling? You know, what do you, what do you see as one of the major differences? It's, a, it's interesting. And that's another great question is, yeah, the training as as I went through the you know, middle 80s and, um, you know, started to learn more about training and, um, you know, better athletes coming out on tour. Um, you had, you know, great athletes playing the game. You had the Kurt Byrams that were coming out. There were incredible athletes growing up playing that game. I always wondered, you know, where it was going to go when that great athlete comes out and, and you get that, um, that athleticism in the game. Um, you know, I, I, I try to tell people that, you know, there's not scoring records being broken every single week. But there's more players that are able <laughs> to compete. I mean, there was, you know, 25, 30 players on tour that were really, you know, could have a chance to win at any given week. Uh, now, now there's 100. Now there's hundreds. <laughs> so uh, nobody's really a surprise winner uh, on, on any tour any longer. There's just the golf, I don't believe, is better. It's exciting as far as everybody's hitting the golf ball. There's just more, more people, more, more players involved, more players in the story every single week uh, that you'd never heard of. And there's just, you know, the, the quality is not any better, but the quantity of those, you know, great players uh, is, is up. So yeah, the equipment has something to do with it. Everything evolves, you know, life evolves, everything 
you know, it gets better and better and more and more efficient. Um, so, you know, you get these great athletes now, the Dustin Johnsons, the Brooks Kepkas, are great athletes that are playing this game and, uh, you know, showing, you know, what training can do and how long you can play, play for. Um, I think that that's, you know, the big, the big difference that I see from the 70s, 80s, 90s is more and more players are training you know, specifically for uh, longevity of their career. And I, I love where it's going. I'm, I'm fascinated by the younger players, getting to know them, you know, better and better, spending a lot of time with a Patrick Cantley or Luke List uh, and, you know, having, you know, them bounce things off me that I learned as a, as a player, whether it be on or off the golf course, whether it's on the golf course playing or off the golf course traveling with family. Um, that's all a big part of it. So it's, it's great to be, you know, part of a lot of these young players' um, teams. Um, you know, I'm a phone call away from any one of these players, and uh, I, I enjoy it. I'm, I'm fascinated by the game. I still love to, you know, play it. I still love to talk about it. Um, it's been, you know, part of my life since the, you know, late 70s, and hopefully uh, can be part of it for a number more years. Yeah, that's that's great to hear. And and you're right, because the Honda, even last week's event at the Honda is the perfect example. Yeah. You know, you got you got four Monday qualifiers. Um, three of them make the cut. Yeah. Two, two of them end up inside the top, you know, 25. So you're right. It's just, you know, they go from having to to, you know, pour out the blood, sweat and tears to get into the event. And then they get in there and their game is, is you know, just as good as everybody else that's that's already there. It's such a, exactly. such a fine line. You're right. Exactly. A couple more quick, quick questions sure. and we'll get you out of here, John. We appreciate your time. Um, you mentioned the equipment and uh, what I want to talk about now is specifically, um, I talked about it last week on the, on the podcast and that's Tiger's comments um, at the Genesis about maybe, you know, not looking at the driver or the equipment specifically to tweak and, and dial back a bit, but maybe looking at the golf ball. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Are you on the side of let's tweak the equipment or let's let these guys bomb it? Or are you more on the golf ball or are you okay with where the game's going? I'm, I'm pretty much okay with where the game's going, to be quite honest. I, I think that there's limitations and I think that the USGA kind of, kind of missed, missed the mark a little bit by letting things kind of get to where, where they are now to dial things back. I, I don't understand why you go forward and forward and forward and all of a sudden stomp on the brakes and go put it in reverse. I don't understand that. If they put limits on everything now, I think the game is in a good spot. Uh, are some of the courses becoming obsolete? Well, that that's an argument there on, you know, condition-wise. Yep. Um, they thought that, you know, they were going to shoot record scores at Marion, one over par one on the shortest major championship course in history. Um, so, you know, the golf courses, great golf courses in design can defend themselves under the right conditions. Now, if you get no wind, soft greens, you know, soft fairways, not much rough. Yeah. Guys are going to shoot the grass off the golf course, but these great you know, golf courses are designed, um, you know, for, for reasons. And they go to these major championships uh, because of the design of the golf courses and the history. Um, I don't like to see, you know, much going forward. If they keep things the way that they are. Yeah. I understand that. Uh, but to, to stomp on the brakes and put things in reverse, I don't, I don't quite get that. Um, because, you know, just like they did in auto racing, they tried to limit the horsepower. They tried to, you know, limit the, the cubic inches of, of, the, of the engine. Yep. And what did they do? 
they found different ways to go faster <laughs> and make, be more efficient. So that that's kind of where they're at is that they, you know, they start dialing things back. Guys are just going to figure out different ways um, to get better and better. So um, just putting limits on it, maybe not, you know, letting the golf ball get too out of hand, but, you know, dialing it back and making everybody play the same ball. Everybody's characteristics are different. That's why there's different golf balls out there, high spin, low spin. Uh, there's all kinds of different you know, ways to do it. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm more of the school of, you know, just kind of putting limits on right now um, and then just let these great players, you know, showcase their talents. Yeah, I, I agree for sure. It's, you know, I think in terms of equipment, I wouldn't want to touch it. I've, I've uh, come up with a couple ideas uh, in terms of the golf. Hey, I, I, I love, I love just getting back out there and hitting the, hitting, you know, drives the way that I used to. I, I don't want to go backwards. Gosh. <laughs> no, nobody does. No, nobody does. I, no. <laughs> so, so John, uh, last question here, and it's it's a it's a dream type question. You're a long, long way away from it because, like you said, you're you're still well connected. You still love to play the game, but if tomorrow tomorrow was your last round of golf, God willing, um, <laughs> and you had one golf course to play and one foursome to create, mm. where are you playing and who are you playing with? Well, I'm playing at Cypress Point, without a doubt. Um, that's a hundred percent. I would, uh, certainly have my great old friend, uh, and mentor, uh, late great Ken Venturi would be by my side. Um, I would have to play a fivesome, honestly. Nothing I'd have wrong to, with I, that. I'd I'm have okay to play a fivesome. Yeah. A little bit, you know, if it's my last round around Cyprus and they let us play a fivesome, I would, I, I never got to play with Mr. Hogan. I got to watch him hit some golf balls. Uh, certainly, um, you know, he, he would be in the group along with, uh, with, with Kenny, uh, of course, Byron, uh, you yep. know, loved to, you know, spent so much time with Byron and, and, and Kenny just talking golf and, um, never got to play with Byron either. Um, so those would be the four. And then of course my father, I would have to have, you know, come along and, and enjoy the, the walk and play around Cypress point. I think that, uh, that would be a great fivesome. Oh, that's awesome. Well, John, I, I get the feel that, that me and you could uh, sit here and talk for hours about, just like you said, all, all the lessons in it and everything you've learned in the game. But uh, I told you I'd be respectful of your time, and I, I appreciate the time that, uh, that we spent together. I love, would love to catch up again uh, 100%. For, you, for you to come on and, and join us, and we can, we can talk a little bit more. But thanks so much for coming on. Truly appreciate it. And uh, you're a golf legend. I grew up watching you and, and idolizing you, and, and thanks again. My pleasure. Anytime. Anytime you know how to get a hold of me, and I would be honored to come back on and talk more about golf. That was absolutely uh, incredible. Really felt uh, like I could have talked to John for probably a good two, three hours uh, just about all of the stories that he's got. And I'm sure there's many, many more. We didn't even get into to Byron Nelson and Chip Beck and and some of his uh, Marco Mir and some of his good friends uh, along the way that he's made. But uh, what an incredible run! You know, to come onto the come onto the scene at Ohio State in in '77, and and you know, still be competitive and relevant all the way up through 2015, 2016, and then stay connected to the game uh, via the the Golf Channel and the broadcasting side of things, and and be a sounding board uh, for the players. You know, at, at 62, 63, 64 years old, um, just great talking with with John and and his insight uh, into the game, and and great to hear that he still in, enjoys the game and. And how about that force, uh, dream foursome and uh, dream golf course? Not a lot of people know. Uh, it's it's a little bit more known now over the last few, for a few years in Cypress Point. 
but everybody always uh, on the Monterey Peninsula looks at uh, at uh, Pebble Beach as the, as the crown jewel. But let me tell you, there's some great golf courses. Spyglass Hill, uh, a couple colleagues of mine have actually said Spyglass is better than, than Pebble. Uh, Pasatamiento, um, Cypress Point, you know, there's some real, real great, great golf courses uh, at the Monterey Peninsula and, and uh, across across North America, but uh, what a what a great foursome and, and what a great golf course to play at. So, thanks to John, I'm sure we're going to have him on again um, in the uh, in the future. Talk to him off air about uh, he's coming up for uh, for the Shaw in Calgary and the Canadian Open at St George's. So, I'm sure we'll be able to connect later on here in uh, in the summer months. But that was uh, absolutely great. Hope all the listeners enjoyed uh, listening to it, whether you enjoy golf or not. Some real great insight into uh, the PGA Tour and and just what it's like uh, having a golf career, uh, a competitive golf career. But let's get into uh, the world of golf. A lot going on, so we're going to be able to cover um, a little bit here in terms of uh, some of the golf news, our picks for the uh, for the API from from Ginger and Dutch, and and uh, touch a little bit on the LPGA Champions Tour and and the rest of the world of golf. But let's start with uh, some of the relevant news and and news that actually hit today. Hold the forts, uh, pile on Phil Mickelson. We got into that last week. He's lost. Uh, he's lost all of his sponsors uh, from KPMG, Rolex, Callaway's. Put it on hold for a little bit here. I thought they would have stuck with him, but um, you know, it, it just when it rains, it pours. And Phil had thought he won the uh, the Pip Challenge or the Pip Standings in terms of uh, collecting uh, some of that some of that money and some of that cake. But uh, he did not do it. I believe there's 40 million on the line uh, on a year-to-year basis in the player in, players index points in terms of uh, the rankings and and how it works. And and the top 10 are handed out money of anywhere from three million up to upwards of eight. And uh, Tiger Woods, without hitting a competitive golf shot in 2021, takes it down and gets the uh, a free handout of eight million dollars. Now. The, I know the original rule was that you had to add a an event to um, your schedule that you haven't played in, uh, I believe, two or three years. And Phil had added Kapalua under the expectation that he was going to go ahead and win this thing. Not sure if the last couple weeks here with all this Saudi news affected those standings or not. But uh, it'll be interesting to see if, if Tiger does indeed qualify to collect that $8 million or if the injury is going to be able to uh, exempt him to be able to collect that. But, you know, Rory McIlroy, third place, 3.5. Jordan Spieth up there at uh, at 3.5. Bryson DeChambeau at 3.5 as well. And then JT, Dustin, DJ, uh, Brooks Kepka, John Rahm, and Bubba Watson round out uh, 6 through 10, each collecting $3 million. Now listen, it, is it 121 million pounds over 10 years for, for Bryson DeChambeau? No, it's not. But uh, it's it's a it's a little bit it's a little way for the PGA Tour to give back and and I've been boisterous um, off the air in, in some of the group chats and stuff and saying that you know this is something that the PGA Tour uh, neither needs needs to add to significantly or um, is a piece of the pie in what they give back to the players here uh, because you know as much as we Phil didn't go about it the right way there there was a platform there for him. Um, I'm sure some of the players have spoken up in terms of um, you know exclusive rights to to uh, media material and and all those things and and just how much money that the tour is making here uh, with the reemergence of golf since COVID-19 has um, been a worldwide pandemic. So 
Um, real interesting there, but the PIP standings get released. It'll be uh, interesting to see. And, and what a great tweet uh, tonight from Tiger Woods. Uh, goes back to Phil Mickelson's Twitter announcement that he had won the uh, the PIP challenge, I believe, in early January. And Tiger uh, uses the emoji with the hands up in the air questioning and says, whoops, and that's it. So absolutely brilliant from Tiger uh, or his team. Great stuff there. Um, continuing on that Saudi front, uh, Greg Norman with a scathing uh, press release email note to uh, to uh, Jay Monahan, PGA Tour commissioner, pretty much saying that this isn't done yet, that he's bullied the uh, the PGA Tour players that if he thinks that this is over, he it's far from, and that uh, that this is still a good idea. It's best for what's for the players, for golf, for the world of golf, um, worldwide and professionally. So it'll be real interesting to see um, if this is something in the future here that that continues on. Because to me, it was it was pretty much squashed. You know, 90, 95% squash, but uh, Greg Norman doesn't believe so. He's not given up on it. He hasn't given up on it all the way back to the 80s in terms of Nicholas and, and some of those guys, you know, there's stories of, of having, uh, you know, him up, uh, having them up in, in the clubhouse at Riviera or another golf course out, out that way, um, trying to convince them of the same thing, of, of a world golf tour. So, uh, this is something that Greg, not the first time Greg Norman's gone down this road, and I, I'm sure um, he's going to continue to try to go down it, and it, it won't be the last of it, but something definitely to, to follow. Another thing to follow is Zach Johnson gets uh, rewarded uh, a 2023 Ryder Cup spot, and it just all keeps circling back to Phil in, in terms of the golf news. From the PIP to the Saudi with Greg Norman to Zach Johnson, some believe that this spot was was Phil's. That this spot was 100% fills. I'm sure they would say different, but you know what? Uh, well deserved for Zach Johnson. Played on four Presidents Cup teams, five Ryder Cup teams, ten-time uh, winner on the PGA Tour, uh, two-time major championship winner from the Open Championship to the Masters, um, with that amazing uh, performance. So um, Zach Johnson is named the 2023 Ryder Cup, um, and he's going to try to go over. We mentioned it with Cookie earlier. Um, he's going to try to go over and lead an American squad uh, for to their first uh, victory since 1993. Yes, you didn't mishear that, folks. The first American victory on European soil since 1993. Zach Johnson will be the captain trying to get that done with uh, with some of the young guns, and, and it'll be interesting to see um, who else qualifies for that squad, but we'll have uh, we'll have time to, to break that down in, in the future. Into the world of golf, uh, Let's start with uh, with some of the other tours we'll, we'll quickly touch on here, and then we'll get over to uh, our thoughts on the Honda and then into our uh, our picks and, and breakdown and preview for uh, the Arnold Palmer Invitational at the Bay Hill Lodge uh, just outside of Orlando. So the, the LPGA Tour is back and going now. We've got a couple events here. Um, I believe this week is at the HSBC World's uh, Women's Championship. 60 field of 65 ladies. Pretty much the who's who on the LPGA Tour. There's a couple of the Corda Twins uh, missing there, but, um, uh, you know, a real good field. Our girl Brooks over there, she's looking to uh, continue on a hot start and uh, keep it going. Lydia Coe's over there as well. Envy Park. Um, Coe is, is making her, uh, world number one's making her um, uh, first appearance of the, uh, the 2022 season. So real good event for them. They'll be in Thailand next week and then back over to, uh, I think, a week off at the end of March there. And then they'll kick off their kind of California swing. So 
really gearing up here for uh, for the ladies as well into um, you know their Chevron Championship, uh, which used to be the uh, the Dinah Shore, um, as uh, used to be the Dinah Shore. So they'll they'll kick into that and lead up into their first major of the season, the Champions Tour. Listen, Miguel Angel Jimenez with two hole in ones in the same tournament. What are the odds of that? And he's the winner. Uh, I believe he's the seventh or ninth guy in history. One, I can't, can't remember the other. I didn't write it down, but I did see it. Uh, seventh or ninth guy in history to have two hole in ones uh, professionally in, in one event. They're at the Hoyt Classic at Newport Beach. If you've got an opportunity, it, it's covered on the Golf Channel all week, weekend long. Uh, this is a great golf course absolutely one of the most underrated golf courses it's hosted u.s amateurs so if you've got the opportunity to uh to uh, take a look at newport beach out in california um phenomenal track make sure you tune into the champions tour you heard cookie talk about it and, and how competitive it is you guys and girls know i've been pounding the table for uh for the champions tour for for years now so tune into that big event and then on the dp uh world uh world tour a couple, a uh, couple, you know, I don't want to say down events, but uh, events, uh, you know, with such a big lead up and a, a big important part of the PGA Tour schedule. Some of the big guns in terms of um, the Europeans that support that DP World Tour uh, or the former European Tour, uh, they're over in America right now. So this is kind of that mid, one of the mid-range events, and they're at the uh, the Kenyan Open in uh, in Nairobi, Kenya, and then. Uh, and the Corn Ferry Tour is back up and running again as well. And it's a dual event for the PGA Tour. They'll have the Puerto Rico Open going. So uh, a lot of the Corn Ferry Tour players are going to have an opportunity to uh, to play in the Puerto Rico Open. And, you know, that range 125 to 200, a lot of those players are going to have the opportunity as well to play in this, uh, you know, dual tournament uh, week here on the PGA Tour. So a couple events to watch for from the, the PGA Tour. But... Flipping back to last week at the Honda at PGA National, um, great event, great finish. It looked like after three rounds, Daniel Berger was going to uh, completely run away with this thing, but um, came back to the field on Sunday. And listen, that's that's the third time, the last three times in a row that Berger's held the lead um, and numerous leads. You know, two, three shot leads here. You start to question if Daniel Berger, you know, we know he can win on the PGA Tour, but is he more of a chaser than a closer? Uh, sleeps up pretty much effectively, almost sleeps on the lead all week long. He was all in around the lead all week and uh, and just wasn't able to close out on Sunday with a, with a final round 74. Hits it in the water on 18, as you guys saw. He had to go for it, so I was glad he, he did go for it, which was, was nice to see. But um, tough close for, for Berger. Uh, Sepp Straka gets his win. His roommate from the University of Georgia, Georgia Bulldogs, out there watching him on 18. Uh, last year's champion, Keith Mitchell. So real cool there. It's pouring rain. First Austrian to win on the PGA Tour. And he absolutely uh, stri- striped the ball last week. No pun intended to his name. But uh, first in fairways hit. First in greens and regulations hit. Uh, first in stroke gain, strokes gained tee to green. So... You know, absolutely just peered the ball all week long. And, and that's what the PJ, PJ National is. It's a ball striker's golf course. There's a lot of trouble out there uh, from from uh, from a water perspective and some real risk-reward holes. And we know what the bear trap can do. But, uh, um, 
you know, a good week for Sepstrak. Another uh, another victory. That's the fourth time in the last five events. That's four and eight. Dutch made mention to it when he came on a couple weeks ago and made his picks. That uh, first time winner. Another first time winner here on the PGA Tour. So, will we see that at the at the Arnold Palmer Invitational? Most likely not. But uh, you know. It's a tough thing because you know what I I actually quite enjoy the the Honda Classic. I, I've never been the the minus twenty five, minus twenty six, minus twenty seven, Kapalua and Sony Open type of guy in, in tournaments, if you will. You know, get me anywhere between eight to to fifteen under. I like it. I like to see some birdies. I like to see some some eagles. But if you're not hitting good golf shots, I like to see them pay the pay the price and pay the piper. And and I think PGA National does a good job of that. Uh, we talked about it last week. Real tough spot on the schedule. Um, you know, I, I, I sent a message to my brother that uh, the member guest at Seminole on Monday had a better field than the Honda. You know, some of the names that were on there. Uh, Patrick Cantley and the uh, Jessica Corda was there. Um, you know, Tom Brady was there. Mackenzie Hughes and Corey Connors and, and the who's who of of the PJ tour. I think, um, uh, Justin Thomas was there. John Rahm was there. Like it was just a shame that, a that, a, a private, a high end private clubs. And I get it. Guys are coming. It's Monday. Guys are coming into town this week for, for the, you know, the API Seminoles, a, a, a well-known tough golf course. Uh, don't know if you've had an opportunity to see the rough this week at Bay Hill, but it is thick and it is nasty. So, you know, it could have been a, a good prelude for him. But PJ National is, and, and I, I understand it's, it is a tough spot, but you just wish they could find that nook and cranny to really, uh, you know, get the right spot for, for that golf course and, and that tournament because it is a good golf course and, and it is a, a historic tournament. It's been on the PGA Tour for, for years and it uh, it just can't seem to find the right spot on on this floor to swing to be able to consistently attract a, a good crowd but um shout out to uh to a couple of the monday qualifiers uh three out of the four monday qualifiers i mentioned it with uh with john cook uh andrew cozen rick lamb to name a couple that uh finish inside the top 30 cozen uh get, has to come back out on saturday morning after play's been suspended on friday he needs to par the 18th hole to make the cut at plus two uh, the highest cut uh, to par so far on the 2021-2022 PGA Tour. Uh, makes par and then has a couple good weekend rounds. And he finds himself inside the top 30. So uh, great to see from the Monday qualifier perspective. And this one was uh, pretty cool for Rick Lamb to, to win in that 16-man playoff to get that the one and final spot after the Eagle to get in. And then to finish inside the top 30. Absolutely amazing. I'm not sure if he's going to be up. That'll get him to the uh, the Puerto Rico Open, but I hope it does. But if not, uh, keep grinding, and uh, hopefully we'll see more of Rick Lamb and Andrew Cozen out on the PGA Tour. From a Canadian's perspective, big announcement uh, from Golf Canada uh, supporting the g- girls and guys out on these professional tours, LPGA, PGA Tours. Uh, and they announced that their goal by 2032 is to have 30 or more players, uh, male and female, out on these professional tours. Listen, um, from a from a quick count, you know, uh, I would say, what are we at, uh, 11, 12 in terms of status, maybe 13 in terms of status. So we're talking about doubling that over the next 10 years. Um, is it doable? Yes, I, I truly think it is. And I think guys like 
like Noah Steele and and uh, Max Sear and some of these these guys can can really come out and and make the PGA Tour make a difference. You know, we've seen Taylor Pendrith and and Roger Sloan and and these guys come up on on this tour. So um, it's definitely doable. But I love the support from from Golf Canada. Still trying to iron out some time with Derek Ingram, and that's something that we could uh, we could talk to him about because he would have a real good insight working with uh, with some of the guys out on the PGA Tour and knowing some of the girls out on the LPGA Tour. But a good week, all in all, for the Canadians. We had five make the cut, um, three of them inside the top 25. Uh, Adam Svensson actually stripes the ball on, uh, I believe, on Friday, hits all 18 greens, absolutely striping it. But uh, a tough final round for him. Putter let him down, missed six putts inside of five feet uh, throughout the course of the week. And, and you know how much the PGA Tour is a uh, is a putting contest. A flat out putting contest and when you miss that many putts from inside five feet you're not going to uh, you may be able to get in contention if you're striping the ball well but you're not going to be able to push over the top and win too many events nick taylor with a solid weekend finishes t16 taylor pendrith t25 and we would have had uh five inside the top 25 without a final round 74 from uh from mac hughes so tough sunday for mac and then roger sloan right there after back-to-back 69s in round one and round two, looks like he's shaping up to be in contention over the weekend and finishes with a with a 75-73. So for t- tough uh, weekend for the final two there, but uh, overall, all in all, a good week for Canadians on the uh, the PGA Tour. On to the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Uh, like I said, what a great part of the schedule for me. This is some of my favorite events of the year. I absolutely love it. I also love the fact that as we get to the Florida swing, you start to watch it and there's that warmer weather for those that have been to Florida before you may have played a, a one of one or two of these courses, you know, Bay Hill is a, is a public golf course. You can get on uh, sawgrass is a public golf course. You can get on PGA nationals, a public golf course. You can get on, so you can go down and play some of these tracks. And so, you know, the Florida swing gets the warmer weather golf courses that you may or may not have played before. Then you know that the masters is coming up. And you're really gearing up for it. You're turning the the corner in terms of weather. We're going to see 14 degree temperatures here in southern Ontario this week, this weekend. So it it just really gets that golf itch going and those golf juices flowing. So um, great event, great time of year. I don't need to talk about the golf course. They've been playing Bay Hill here for years. You guys know uh, par five, 16th to finish, risk reward over the water. Uh, the 17th is a tough as nails par three, 200, 220 plus yards, uh, surrounded by bunkers and water. And then the 18th hole with the, uh, with the long skinny green rolling around the corner of that water. Um, you guys know the finish, you know, how exciting it can be. Uh, you've seen some of the classic, um, invitationals and, and who's won this event. So let's get into our picks for this week. And, um, Starting out, I will have a cool little stat that the purse this week is actually bigger than 452 out of the 400 major championships that have ever been contested on the PGA Tour. So they're playing for the big bucks this week. We'll start with uh, with Dutch's picks. Listen, uh, we'll start from the top. Not huge odds here, but a rock-solid pick. Um, and, and I think he's due for a win on the PGA Tour. And you know what? Uh, after speaking out against... Uh, Against Phil, he's really come into himself. He's matured since the baby. He's 12-1 to 1 this week, coming off of a T10 at Genesis. He was right there in Dubai. 
He plays well on this golf course. He won in 2018, T6 in 2019, T5 in 2020, and T10 last year. Rory McIlroy Dutch has taken in his big gun. The English are too many. And that is true for Dutch and I's picks here uh, this week. The English are too many. T6 at Pebble, T10 at uh, the Waste Management. I had him at Genesis, but he had to uh, had to withdraw. Um, but he's 30 to 1. Great odds here. Second place outright in 2019. T9 in 2020. T10 in 2021. Our first of many Englishmen pick this week, Matthew Fitzpatrick for Dutch, as his rock steady. He'll continue on that English front. And uh, T48 at Honda, starting to get his game back a little bit here. Um, 2019, I, he was he was cut here, I believe, or didn't play. Couldn't find him on the list there. But in 2020, he was T18, and 2021, he was T31. 175 to 1 on the extreme long shot. Put him down for a top 10. I could definitely see it happening here. You know, it, to me, there's always at this event going to be two or three Englishmen that contend. It's, you're just trying to find uh, find the right ones. So Dutch and I went with the approach of just bet them all. So uh, Danny Willett, 175 to 1. Make sure you lay a top 5, top 10 on that one. Some great value in there as well on that. I'll start from the bottom now we hear. Going to continue on that the English front. He was T30 at the Honda, T6 at the Abu Dhabi. So he's showing some form, working on his game. Uh, 125 to 1. And he's always making the cut, always around at this golf course. 2018, he was T40. 2019, he was T23. 2020, he was T32. And last year, he was T26. So he's always in the mix around that top uh, top 20, top 25, top 10. And at 125 to 1 with good value on a top tenner, I'm taking Ian Poulter. He is due for, due for a good week here. Another Englishman as an extra pick, 66 to 1. He's feast or famine. Listen. Uh, 2018, he was uh, T36. 2019, T3. Cut in 2020. T10 in 2021. 66 to 1. I'm taking Tommy. Tommy Fleetwood. Tommy. Tommy Fleetwood. Tommy Fleetwood. I love this pick. 45 to 1. I love the value on this pick. He's been in the top 20 the last three years straight. Listen, uh, T26 at Genesis had one bad round. 45 to 1. In 2019, he was T10. 2020, he was T18. Last year, he was T8. Jason Kokrak. Jason Kokrak, I'm taking him. And at 35 to 1, played not bad in Dubai. He's won on this golf course in 2020. In 2019, he was T29. In 2021, he was T21. I'm taking another Englishman, Tyrrell Hatton. We got Rory, Matty Fitzpatrick, Danny Willett, Tyrrell Hatton, Jason Kokrak, Ian Poulter, and our extra pick is Tommy Fleetwood. Folks, those are the G&D picks for the API this week. That's the world of golf of what's happening. Once again, thank you to John Cook for an absolutely phenomenal uh, chat and discussion we had on his career, the world of golf, uh, his dream foursome. I'm sure we're going to have him on again. Folks, make sure you're following us along on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and subscribing to our new YouTube channel. We're slowly inching up there, so make sure you're hitting us on all the fronts, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Real-life passion for real-life sports. Time to throw out the trash.
Welcome to Ginger's Garbage. All right, folks, welcome back from break. Hope you enjoyed a little segment there from Triple G. And we're going to get you out of here. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit of NFL here, and we'll get you out of here in a short and sweet amount of time. But uh, let's kick it off in the world of the NFL. It's a big week for the uh, for the grinders, for the geeks, for the film gurus. And that is the week of the NFL Combine. But before we jump into that, I wanted to jump in specifically to uh, to something I mentioned last week. And it wasn't pointed out to me, but I did... Um, after doing some uh, some research, realized that I had made a mistake on a player that I had mentioned last week of a potential cut candidate or a sneaky player to keep an eye on, and that um, that was Amari Cooper. Okay, and from what I am hearing from the Amari Cooper front is that. Uh, on March 18th, he his uh, his salary, the $20 million, is, is guaranteed. Um, so, and that's from a pretty credible source in, in Tom Pelissaro. And to me, it'll be really interesting to see what happens here with Amari Cooper. Um, Stephen Jones did not commit to the future of Amari Cooper when asked about it here this week at the Combine. And and that's another reason why I love the Combine is, is you get... You get to read the tea leaves. You get so many nooks and crannies, and and this is where I find play uh, not players but coaches, general managers, front offices, uh, scouts. They, you know, they leak a little bit of information. They give a little bit more information about what's going to happen. So if you're into you know really honing down and honing in on you know free agency in the draft and and what that offseason approach and and how your team's going to go about building or adding to their team um this is this is the event i absolutely love it um it starts tomorrow officially the players have been meeting with the teams over the last couple nights here as we record um a little bit later this week on on a wednesday here wednesday afternoon so it'll quickly the officially uh the the testing will kick off tomorrow Couple, uh, couple players not in uh, in attendance. Some some big name players, Derek Stingley, uh, Juice Gardner, I believe, is sitting out on an event or two. So, um, but a, a huge week here at the NFL Combine. And you've heard me say it before on this podcast, but I'll say it again. Uh, this stuff matters, and, and it matters in terms of, and it, to me, to to the general fan, it might not, but. When you get out on a, on an NFL football field and 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 you're trying to throw the seam route in between the linebacker and the safety or the corner and the safety, you've got to know if if that quarterback's got the fastball to get that in there. So so seeing the arm strength on the quarterbacks, um, we've talked about on this podcast the the arm length and the reach and the hand size. Of, of of the quarterbacks and and the arm arm length and reach of of offensive tackles and offensive guards and defensive linemen to be able to play the leverage and control the leverage and control you know what's happening there on that line of scrimmage from a linebacker perspective you know what's their height what's their vert you know 
we've seen you know guys like Fred Warner and and we saw that pass from Aaron Rodgers to Devontae Adams in in that 49ers you know that epic 49ers and and uh, Packers game this year and he drops it over top of Warner you know Fred Warner's an inch taller or his vert's an inch, an inch higher he might get hands on that ball or you know what what's the what's the agility what's the speed can the linebacker go sideline to sideline you know hips on the corners like all these little things matter and they they don't necessarily matter to the untrained eye but they matter to the trained eye and there's a reason why they go about doing the doing these things because to me they are, they are important and they they do matter and they do help in the overall assessment are they the be all end all no you can look at Al Davis and the Oakland and the Oakland Raiders Las Vegas Raiders for that you you draft players strictly on their statistics and how they test out of the combine, you're probably not going to be successful. But it's a piece of the puzzle. It's a piece of puzzle to go with the film, right? So you got your film, you've got your combine, and you've got your face-to-face meetings. Does the player love football? What's their football IQ? How much can they learn? You know, what style of learner are they? Are they a leader? What's their intangibles? Do they do they look you in the eye? How are they going to act on the community? What's their attitude? All of that goes into the piece of the puzzle to be able to go ahead and draft some of these kids. So a, a huge week there uh, to uh, to clear up a couple things in terms of Amari Cooper and the uh, the NFL Combine. Uh, some big news in terms of the NFL and and their worldwide reach announcement this week that they will be uh, they'll be uh, having some not only London games back to three London games this year, but we're back in Mexico and we're to Munich for the first ever, um, I don't know if it's the first ever actually, but we're back in Munich for uh, for NFL football. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers will be uh, will be the representative there as they have the uh, the rights to um, Germany, and then we've got the Saints, Jags, and Green Bay uh, in the London location, and then the Cardinals are back in Mexico as they'll have their uh, their rights for that. So. Listen, you start to put some of the pieces of the puzzle together here and um, you can almost really start to narrow it down. And, and if you look at the Bucks schedule, because the NFL not, not only did they announce the, the, uh, the hosting teams, if you will, and they were all NFC teams, which are the home teams for that their ninth game. With the 17th uh, game announced to the schedule last year, it rotates back and forth between the AFC and the, uh, the NFC as to who gets the home, the ninth home game. Um, on that 17-week schedule. So last year was the AFC. The next year is the NFC. So we're going to have all NFC teams hosting the international games moving forward. Makes total sense. So let's start to put these pieces of the puzzle together, and we'll try to put three of them together here. We'll start with that with that Bucks game in the in Munich, and you you look at the schedule, and if we eliminate uh, the division games, because typically the NFL t- NFL does not like to teams and the NFL don't like to put division games. On that international schedule, uh, the Saints to me are uh, automatically eliminated because they're hosting. They're doing one of the London games. The Falcons did one of the London games last year, so they're out the window. The Panthers did one in 2019, so eliminate those divisions. That leaves you six six true opponents here that are that are left. You've got Kansas City, Green Bay, who's also hosting one of those London games. So you can throw them out. We're down to five: Kansas City, Cincinnati, Baltimore. Seattle and the Rams. Now, the Rams are also on Green Bay's schedule in London, so we're going to throw them out the door. 
in 2019, Cincinnati was in one of the London games and an international game. So I think, and without anything happening in 2020, I think they're out the door. That leaves us Seattle, Baltimore, Kansas City. Now, Kansas City did 2019 in Mexico. So I can, uh, to me, they're still a question mark. But I really, when you start to look at it, if it's Seattle, Baltimore, or Cincinnati, you got Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, or Russell Wilson to go to Munich. I think any of these squads are your kind of key candidates. Kansas City could be a late dark horse. You move over to Green Bay in the London game. No one's going to matter about too much about the Jags or the Saints, but we'll go to that Green Bay-London game. Listen, we're going to throw the division games out the, out the door. That leaves us our six opponents. you got the Titans, Jets, Giants, Patriots, Rams, Cowboys. Titans played in a London game 2018. Jets played the Falcons in 2021. You can throw them out the door. That's not happening. Giants were all the way back to 2016, but don't quite know if they've got that reach. If you're going to bring Aaron Rodgers, because I don't think he's going anywhere, if you're going to bring him over to London and try to help grow this game, to me, you're down to the big three. You got the Pats, you got the Rams, and you got the Cowboys. The Pats played two recent um, international games in 2012 and 2017 in Mexico. I couldn't find on anywhere that the Dallas Cowboys have played in an international game. It's time for America's team to go over um, on a prime time matchup. I think it's the first you're ever going to see it on the schedule. I'm predicting it now. You heard it here first. The Green Bay Packers will play the Dallas Cowboys in London this year in a big matchup. And then the last one is the Arizona Cardinals. And to me, this this really leaves two teams because the Rams are on there again. Um, I don't think you're getting the Rams. I think the Super Bowl champs are going to stay home, throw out those division opponents. You got the Patriots on on the Green Bay schedule and the Saints schedule, so they may get one of those. Throw out them. Saints are on that schedule for the Cardinals as well, but they're playing that game in London. You can throw at them. That leaves us Kansas City, the Chargers, and the Eagles. Kansas City's a possibility. They've played in that Mexico game in 2019, so I would kind of throw that out. I would, if you're going to see Kansas City anywhere, I think it's going to be in Munich. To me, that leaves two options. It's the Chargers and the Eagles. Listen, we know uh, San Diego, its proximity to Mexico. To me, Cardinals and the Los Angeles Chargers is a lock to happen in Mexico. I'm just connecting the dots. I don't got any sources or anything on that, but that's just me kind of doing some investigatory work. I see Cardinals Chargers in Mexico. I see a big matchup, Packers and Cowboys. Maybe Rams or Patriots in there as well as Dark Horses. And then I see the Bucks against Cincy, Baltimore, or Seattle. I'll see how I do, but those are my picks on the international games. Folks, let's close this off. I wanted to close it off once and for all with the QB carousel here in the NFL. A couple guys I missed and a little update on last week. And then uh, I want to go into my... Uh, I blasted Aaron Rodgers pretty good last week and... I got another one this week, and I'm sure you know who's coming. But uh, let's start out with Green Bay. Listen, uh, we hear that Aaron Rodgers' rumor is, is, is you know, report wants to be the uh, the highest quarterback in the uh, in the NFL. Now, listen, we go to quarterbacks. We know Matt Ryan's playing for the uh, for the highest cap figure at 48 uh, 48 plus north of 48 million this year. 
Aaron Rodgers has got a cap hit of $46 million. We know his annual AAV is around 33 or $34.5 million. I, I understand it. That's not news to me. That's not adjusting their cap position. I know what they've done. They've opened up a pretty good amount of room. We last year, last week, sorry, we sat at around fifty million for for the Green Bay Packers, just north of fifty million that they had to open up, and that's without the contract of Devontae Adams. They restructure some contracts and and change some some you know roster. Uh, roster bonuses into uh, signing bonuses and and some of the salary into signing bonuses sorry and, and they add some void years to Kenny Clark they clean up 10.8 million there uh, they clean up three million in Aaron Jones and they clean up uh, 11.5 in a restructure of uh, of left tackle David Bakhtiari you know pretty good job there cleaning up about 24 million dollars uh, for the Green Bay Packers and what they uh, what they have done Um and adding a year on to, to Bakhtiari as well. So they're they're in around that 32, just north of $32 million um, for the Green Bay Packers of what they have left. But I find it real tough uh, to see, once again, to see them getting getting underneath that cap figure. And, and to hear Aaron Rodgers just frustrates me to no end that, you know, if that's true, that he wants to be the, the highest paid quarterback I just don't see how him and Adams are going to fit and they've still got a ton of work to do so you know it's a team that I'm real interested in I'm sure the NFL and and the fans are as well but just wanted to provide a little update there on that on the QB carousel we're going to we're going to run through four more uh, QBs that uh, that are going to that we're going to talk about here tonight to kind of round it out and the first one being Carson Wentz uh, from the Indianapolis Colts lots of talk going around especially at the Combine uh, Chris Ballard, Frank Wright, uh, pretty to me, pretty open that that they're interested in moving on from Carson Wentz, and the one-year experiment is uh, just about over, if you will. Um, I think they they realize that they're going to get what they've got out of Carson Wentz, and he and he is who he is at 30 years old, but a three million three years at 81 million left. Now, in saying that, there's no dead money after the 2022 season, so. To me, it's almost a one-year contract here for for Carson Wentz. In terms of 2022, uh, the cap figure that I that I've seen from from over the cap, he's going to come in around just north of 28 million, 28.2, 28.3. They'd have to eat 15 of it to 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 flat out cut him on a post June cut, a post June first cut. Uh, that number doesn't change. So, to me, it's a it's a trade option. I think there is trade options available for Carson Wentz and a couple of the quarterbacks that we're going to talk about tonight. Is it going to happen? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, is Carson Wentz that much better than Mitchell Trubisky? Because to me, if you can get Mitch Trubisky at two years, $30 million, two years, $40 million in free agency, save yourself $8 million. Um, if you're a, a team like the Steelers... Or the Bucks, uh, you might you might want to think about that. So, once again, I, I, I just I find it hard to to see a player um, or a dance partner for the Colts to be able to uh, get rid of Wentz here. The contract in 2023-24 is actually it you can pretty much walk away from it at that point after this year. But they may be sitting on Carson Wentz for uh, for one more year. 
um, and trying to figure out how they can go about winning uh, playoff games. The next one is Jimmy G. And with this sold, sold shoulder surgery, a real interesting dynamic. Listen, uh, Jimmy G's got uh, one year left, just north of $26 million at 31 years old. And this contract and this negotiation, the 49ers have lost to me. They've lost all of the leverage in terms of what can happen here for, for Jimmy Garoppolo. Um you know, very little dead money, so they could they could walk away from him and, and save that cap money, but I for for what? You're just gonna walk away from a from a starting NFL quarterback who's been to a Super Bowl three years ago, a conference a conference championship game this year, a player two away from from truly winning that game, and he's in the last year of his deal, and and yeah, you're gonna save yourself twenty five and a half million, but. Uh, the 49ers are they're ready to win now so you you want to try to go out and get those pieces and put all that into trade Lance or uh, it's real interesting then the shoulder surgery comes in from for me um, there, there's no roster bonus here so there this is a long game for me this is a all summer long play this out let's get a final look at Trey Lance to make sure he's fully ready and then we maybe pull the trigger uh in training camp but I can't see anything happen in terms of Jimmy Garoppolo here a team that I could see playing along here is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers let's give Tom Brady more time is this official is he officially done okay he's done we've got Garoppolo in our back pocket we know we can win with him we can use him um, he's better than Kyle Trask. Now, the dynamic that, and once again, back to this combine thing. Bruce Arian, in, in his talk uh, with Andrew Andrew Siciliano from NFL Network, practically admitted that option one is Kyle Trask, and option two is a trade partner behind door two. Flat out said that. Um, so that's his indictment on the 2021 quarterback draft class, that with the roster they have right now, uh, whether Godwin's back or not, they're they're ready to win now and they want a veteran quarterback to try to lead this squad and i think your best option to me would be a jimmy garoppolo maybe a carson wentz i I can't see them at wentz but i definitely could see them going with jimmy garoppolo uh matt ryan two years left uh at 91 million dollars he's the highest cap hit number for an nfl quarterback here in 2022 at 37 years old North of forty-eight million dollars, he's at forty million dollars in dead cap money. So, so a cut there is absolutely not an option. Next year, fifteen fifteen point six in the in the dead cap. North of forty-three million on the salary cap. Um, he's 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 got the Falcons bent over the coals right now, and he is toasting them um, like a marshmallow gets toasted over the fire. It's unfortunate. Hey, I I love Matt Ryan. He's a he's a pro's pro. Great career, stat collector. Uh, went to the one Super Bowl. Did he have a good enough defense? No, he didn't have a good enough defense. Is he a Hall of Fame quarterback? No. Uh, is he a good quarterback? Yes. If you put him on the the Patriots, could he have won two Super Bowls? Probably. But uh, I just I just for this year for sure I just don't I don't see any trade partners for Matt Ryan. There's just not enough teams that are willing to commit um, to $48.6 million 
uh, that that are in desperate need of a quarterback. You know, the Dolphins. You, you heard today from Chris Greer that the trade uh, trade mill for Deshaun Watson is, is officially dead and and done with. But you know, forty eight million. They've only got sixty million under the cap. He, you know, are you going to walk away from Tua to, to bring in Matt Ryan? Jaguars got the quarterback. Chargers got the quarterback. Bengals got the quarterback. The Jets, oh no. Uh, the Broncos, there's a possibility. The Colts, we already know with Wentz. We know the Seahawks. We heard Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson ain't going anywhere today. Now the Washington Commanders are a sneaky option. A sneaky option. Ron Rivera is coming from Carolina has seen what Matt Ryan can do. If he feels that that this commander's team is ready to win now and, and make that push and, and there's a little bit of a a dent in the armor of the Dallas Cowboys or the Philadelphia Eagles, there's an option there. Uh Pittsburgh Steelers, I can't see it happening. I think they're they're gonna go with draft and a, a Mitch Trubisky type type uh free agent, one of those mid level quarterback free agents, especially with that defense. Uh, the Browns, Lions, Pat. Yeah, the, the, to me, it's 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 the Commanders, it's the Washington Commanders, and maybe the Denver Broncos if they get real desperate are the two options for uh, for Matt Ryan here. I can't see the Broncos going with either Jimmy or Jimmy G or Carson Wentz. Just not proven enough for uh, George Patton in that in that squad. Let's close out. And last week I ended with a rant on Aaron Rodgers. This week I'm going to end with a rant on Kyler Murray, and I'll start off. Short and sweet sweet and simple. Who the fuck do you think you are, son? In the words of Stone Cold Steve Austin, because 24, 24 and 1 ain't good enough in the NFL. 0 and 1 in the playoffs ain't good enough. The resurgence of the Cardinals since your appearance or your, you know, to come on the scene in 2019 uh they're five and three in the playoffs since 2008 and you accounted for one of those losses my friend so they're five and four with sorry five and four with your loss five and three without your loss carson palmer kurt warner took this franchise to super bowl to conference championships games since 2008 without your ass on site the constant improvement. Improvement of what? 20 TDs, 12 picks. 26 TDs, 12 picks. 24 TDs, 10 picks, and you miss three games. 10 picks, and you miss three games. 3,700 yards, 3,900 yards, 3,800 yards, and you miss three games. 819 yards rushing 11 TDs in 2020. 423 yards and 5 TDs in 2021. Missed the playoffs twice. Lost in a pathetic, shameful way in the wild card round to the Super Bowl champions within your division at home to the Los Angeles Rams and Matthew Stafford. Kyler Murray, fucking check yourself, kid. Check your commitment to football. Enough with the the games. Enough with Aaron Rodgers and Kyler Murray and these quarterbacks that don't win shit. Posturing via social media, via the media, to get these contracts. You want to be paid like Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes? Try winning some football games. Just like I said to Aaron Rodgers last week. Try winning some playoff football games. 
Josh Allen made the playoffs three out of the last four years, three and three in the playoffs. Patrick Mahomes, I don't need to speak to his record. Lamar Jackson, MVP. You haven't even sniffed one, Kyler. Go play short shortstop for the Atlanta Braves. Oh yeah, I forgot. They're on fucking strike. How do you like that? Check yourself. Check your reps. No leadership from you or any of your agents or whoever is representing you. You're an absolute joke in my mind. And you know what? I hope they don't pick up your fifth-year option. I hope they send you on your little merry way, just like Larry Fitzgerald Sr. told your ass. And you find yourself looking up at the stars going, huh, real interesting what happens in a turn of events. Go play football. Go play under your rookie contract for the fourth year. Prove me wrong. Let them pick up your fifth-year option. Prove me wrong again. And then go sign the monster deal and win some game in the playoffs. Other than that, Kyler Murray... You're absolutely ginger's garbage. Folks, had to end the episode off that way. Kids got me fired up. Thanks for tuning in this week. Make sure you're checking us out on all the social media fronts, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at uh, Triple G, Ginger Triple G, and we'll catch you next week. Thank you.